Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to Sully Baseball. This is the podcast where we talk about baseball 52 weeks out of the year. There's no offseason, and I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording this outside on a beautiful sunny day here in Palo Alto, California, the birthplace of Oakland A's manager Bob Belvin, and just a line drive from Sunken Diamond, the baseball home of the Stanford Cardinal. Well, after not doing a podcast for nearly a month as I'm dealing with stuff off the field issues, I, uh, I'm i going to do a second one this week. Uh, I want to talk about a couple of things. Uh, first and foremost, the All-Star game was last night. I'm recording this on the uh, afternoon of the 18th day of July. I'm either dropping on the 18th or 19th. haven't figured it out yet. You don't know. I don't know just yet, but, you know, this is when I'm recording it. Uh, last night's All-Star game, it was fun. It was a fun game. Anytime you have, you know, you, you got just enough homers, just enough stars getting big home runs. You you have, uh, who, who hit home runs? It was a turn to home run derby. The National League got home runs by uh, Wilson Contreras and Trevor Story, Christian Yelich, Scooter Jeanette, and Joey Votto. And the American League had Mike Judge hit a crushing one off of Scherzer. Mike Trout, because that's the law. Uh, Gene Segura came off the bench at that three-run homer. Bregman hit a homer. And Springer hit a homer. Um, and uh, Bregman was the uh, All-Star Game MVP. You could have made a compelling case to have it be uh, Segura, as he got two hits, including the three-run homer. But, you know, Bregman, you hit the game-winning home run in extra innings. Boom, there you go. Um... There's a couple of... I've made some suggestions for the All-Star game and and ways to make it, I I think, more interesting. And, of course, I've been a broken record over the thing that I think is most critical, and that is you start the season with the All-Star game. The beginning of the year, the All-Stars are determined by their stats from the entire season and becomes the way you kick off the season. But I've mentioned that a bunch of times, uh, so there's no reason to go over the merits of that again. I'll tell you something that kind of hit me. And I'm not going to be old man Sully. I'm not going to be in my day because uh, no one cares about my day. But there is something that needs to change about the all-star voting. Now, you start off, and I'm taking a look at the American League lineup. Mookie Betts, Jose Altuve, Mike Trout, Eddie Martinez, Jose Romero, Aaron uh, Jose Romero, sorry, uh, Aaron Judge, Manny Machado in his final game in an Orioles uniform, uh, Jose Abreu, Salvador Perez. Terrific lineup. A grand total of zero of them were still playing when the game went into extra innings. And, you know, one of the things when you think about great baseball games and dramatic baseball games, one thing you never say is, oh, did you see that game? Yeah. Remember how it started? Very rarely do you remember how it started. You remember how it ended. That's what you remember. And I think that, yes, there's a tremendous honor in being an all-star starter, but as a fan, inevitably the big stars you want to see up there, the big stars you want to see perform are, are almost always sitting on the bench. If you went extra innings, you go to extra innings and the pitcher has to face Mike Trout, J.D. Martinez, and Aaron Judge, and Jose Altuve, 
Oh, that's that's the all-star game, baby. That's what you want to see. And I think that here's here are two rules that I would make. The first, if you're going to have voting, the first place uh, in each position is who starts the game. The second place finishes the game. They, uh, you'll have like real big superstars still in the lineup when you get to the ninth inning. Now, I also have a rule that the game is nine innings long. And if it goes past nine innings, you have an impromptu home run derby to determine the winner. Because I don't want to see another Milwaukee fiasco where we run out of relief pitchers and they have to just stop the game. And you were thinking that, and I I was thinking that, when Scooter Jeanette hit that home run to send the game into extra innings. Now, as it turned out, the players who were left hanging around at the end of the game, uh, you know, you got to see Alex Bregman, you got to see George Springer, you got to see Scooter Jeanette, you got to see Joey Votto all hit homers. Man, there are a lot of Cincinnati Reds on this team for a team that's not really contending. And yeah, it was cool to see Joey Votto in there in the bottom of the 10th. It would have been nice if it was a closer game at that point. But here's the main rule. I've talked about this before, and my God, we've got to do it. The selection of the starting pitcher of the All-Star game is an honor. It's an honor. You're starting the All-Star game. Essentially, ideally, the person who's starting the All-Star game is the person who should probably be the front runner for the Cy Young Award at the point of the All-Star game. I mean, that's, that's what it should be, right? Now, with it being such a big honor, there's a expectation that you're going to see the best pitcher taking on the best hitters. That's what made the home run by Aaron Judge off of Max Scherzer in so many ways so dramatic. Because the first, you know, when, when Scherzer was starting, he looked like, oh my God, I think I understand what the narrative of this All-Star game is going to be. It's going to be Max Scherzer dominates in front of his home crowd. And they had a tremendous stat on Fox, which was this was the first time in history that a defending Cy Young Award winner started the All-Star game in his home stadium. That's really cool. That's Scherzer. And I was like, oh, man, he is dealing. He is dealing. And then suddenly Judge crushes the snot out of the ball into the bullpen. Boom. Home run. And that's what's memorable about the All-Star game. Judge is one of the single most popular players in all of baseball. And Scherzer is acknowledged to be, if not the best pitcher in baseball, certainly in the conversation for the best pitcher in baseball. And there you have one of the biggest stars, not just emotionally, but physically, in Aaron Judge tattooing a pitch by Scherzer in front of his home crowd. That's a big moment. And you have Jacob deGrom, who, if he, if Scherzer's not the frontrunner to win the Cy Young Award, then it's probably going to be deGrom, and he lets up a home run to Mike Trout, who is the best player in baseball. Those are the types of matchups you want to see. No offense to Scooter Jeanette versus Edwin Diaz, which is a wonderful matchup anyway, but not the, super, you know, the, the elite superstar. So here is my rule about starting pitchers 
in the All-Star Game. And I may have mentioned this in a previous podcast. If I have, please forgive me. It's worth reiterating. The starting pitcher has to face all nine batters of the starting lineup. Chris Sale, how many batters did Chris Sale face? Chris Sale, of my beloved Boston Red Sox, faced four batters. There you go. Four batters. Luis Severino faced four batters. And when you take a look at the fact that the game went into extra innings, and you can look at the fact that if it went deep into extra innings, Chris Sale threw nine pitches. Jimenez threw eight pitches. Barrios threw 13 pitches. I mean, this is crazy. I mean, I know you don't want to blow out someone's arm, but at the same time, I don't know, maybe they can hit double digits in pitches. You know, maybe, you know, if you have Sale, if he's dealing, he throws three innings. You know, part of the problem is the notion of trying to get everybody into the game. Now, I'm not going to be old man Sully here, say, you know, what happened to, you know, earning it? and blah, blah, blah. No, it becomes a practicality. Especially pitchers. I can understand emptying the bench of hitters. I can. I'm not 100% for it, but I understand it. But with pitchers, you got to be able to say, hey, wait, if this goes into extras, you know, the commissioner of baseball should say, hey, look it, some of those starting pitchers you have coming out there, they got to throw two innings. You know, we can't have a situation where, you know, the game goes into extra innings and in the first, you know, the, the only pitchers in the American League who threw more than one inning were Snell and Morton. Everyone else threw one inning or fewer. In a game that has a DH, there's a plane flying over me. I'm not even going to cut that out. You don't want to have a fiasco because, as I said, nobody says, how did that game start? They say, how did it end? Last night's game ended with a wild ninth inning with Jeanette's home run and a tenth inning that turned into home run goddamn derby. Sorry, Ray. Where there were home runs hit by Bregman and Springer in the top of the inning and a home run by Joey Votto in the first pitch thrown by Jay Happ in the bottom of the inning. That's how you know, most people are going to remember that. They'll remember the, the home run hit by Judge, maybe the home run hit by Trout, and then the wild home run derby that took place in the ninth and tenth innings. What you don't want to have is the ending be the commissioner of baseball shrugging like Bud Selig did in Milwaukee. In order to do that, you preserve your pitchers. And maybe you say, hey, look it, here are the four pitchers I'm going to use in regulation. I'm going to have four pitchers divide up nine innings. And the rest of you are there in case we have to go deep. You know, I mean, the the honor of being an all-star is being chosen. And the honor of being an all-star is, I think, when they all line up and they have their name and they, they, they say their name and they, they tip their caps. That's the honor of being an all-star. I mean, no one's got to... Are you really going to remember that, uh, you know, uh, you know the fact that uh, training through one inning, that Severino threw the second inning? Is anyone going to say, oh, man, remember when Severino threw that second inning? Yeah, that was the best. I mean, I'm sure it must be cool for the pitcher and everything to get in there, but 
you don't want to have the attitude of, oh God, I hope this doesn't go to extra innings. Think about that. That is an anxiety that every single baseball fan roughly my age has at an all-star game right now, which is, please don't go to extra innings, please don't go to extra innings, please don't go to extra innings. The most dramatic thing a game could do is to go into extra innings and possibly have the winning run come on a walk-off hit. But, like, it went into extra innings in 2008 at Yankee Stadium, and everyone was wringing their hands going, oh, no, they're going to run out. Because that was only, that was 2008, and the fiasco all-star, it was just six years prior to that. And so here we are in, in 20, 10 years later. Oh, no, don't go to extra innings. Don't go to extra innings. And the whole reason of that is because, hey, everyone, everyone gets to pitch. And if you're going to have the everyone gets to pitch, then you have to end the game after nine innings and find some way to, to break the tie. Or you eliminate it. Say, here are your four pitchers. You get to use these four pitchers. And maybe the, the, that could be a fan vote as well. Like, once you've selected, here we go, once you've selected the pitchers uh, and the, the, the manager says, here are the, here are the pitchers on our roster, then maybe you do an online poll. Who do you want to start? Who are, who are the four you want to see pitch? You know, make it a fan participation thing, but don't put the All-Star game in a position where we're all saying novenas and busting out the rosaries. See, Ray, I could speak your language and say, oh, please, please, please don't go into extras. That's what you should want it to go into extras. That's fun. But not if they handle it like this. So the All-Star game's over. Got to see friend of the podcast, Sean Doolittle, uh, be an all-star, for, this time for the National League. He gets to be in both leagues. That's pretty cool, I think. And uh, the American League one no longer matters for home field advantage. I actually kind of liked when it mattered for home field advantage. I understood why people didn't like it. But, hey, you know, it added a little bit of a wrinkle. You know, I actually, I had no problem with that. But I, then again, I also have no problem with it not counting for it. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm indifferent. Now... We're now going to the, the, there's no games today. There's going to be no games. There's one game tomorrow. And then the season starts again in, on July 20th. We'll be entering late July. And basically, we're looking at, there's some teams that have to do stuff. And the Baltimore Orioles, to their credit, managed to trade Manny Machado and they got five players in return. Now, the five players they got, this is apparently, you know, it, it, there was physical stuff they had to figure out, but they got, uh, uh, I can't pronounce his name, uh, Yusniel Diaz, who's uh, uh, one of the Dodgers' top hitting prospects, uh, Zach Pop, Dean Kremer, uh, Bravik Valera, and Ryan Bannon. Zach Pop is a relief pitcher in the Dodgers organization. I hope he makes it. Baseball needs players like Zach Pop. Two syllables. Both words. Both names are fun. I mean, Pop. Pop. The pitch pops in there. Pop. I mean, it's one of the most fun words in the world is Pop. Yeah, how did, how did that go? Oh, that guy, he was popping. The picture pops out. Oh, you know, it's, it's wonderful. And Zach. 
Zach's a great name. Starts with Z. Z. And ends with an Ack. Zach Pop. It sounds like an automatopoeia. And I mean, look at if you saw a Batman fight with Adam West and Burt Ward, and they're beating the snot out of the Riddler's goons, and one screen said Zach, boom, and the other one said Pop, boom. Would you give it a second look? No, we'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. Zach Pop. I hope he makes it. I hope Zach Pop is one of those pitchers who is always pitching, kind of like what happened with Edwin Jackson or or Francisco Liriano. You know, just one of these guys. A bunch of crows just flew over. It's wild. And those crows sound like they're going, Zach Pop, Zach Pop, Zach Pop. It's awesome. I want Zach Pop to com- to uh, uh, succeed. Um, look at. I don't know how any of these players are going to turn out. Because sometimes a player is somewhat unheralded in a trade. Like uh, when the, the A's acquired Josh Donaldson from the Cubs in the, in the um, Rich Harden trade. He wasn't a big, huge prospect that people thought was going to be an MVP candidate and ultimately win an MVP. And sometimes there are players who are supposed to be the next great thing, like a... Like, a, you know, Matt Laporte or a Kyle Drabeck, who everyone salivates over. said, oh, my God, this is the type of player you can build a franchise around. And they don't turn out to not be able to do piddly-poo. You know, sometimes a player comes to the right situation and things fit, things click. And sometimes I always wonder when, you know, a player like Laporta or Kyle, or, uh, Kyle Drabeck, two players who are incredibly hyped prospects, you know, um, Montero went from the Yankees to the Mariners. Was supposed to be the next, uh, you know, it was supposed to be the next Miguel Cabrera. And you know, it's these players when they flopped, um, you know, you wonder if it's the situation. You know, sometimes the right coach can un- unleash something. The right catcher gave the right advice to Sandy Koufax and turned him into a Hall of Famer. You know, Dave Stewart was the definition of a journeyman pitcher when he arrived with the A's and became a Cy Young contender and a folk hero. You know, we saw just last night, you know, we, we saw last night that, you know, players like, you know, Jay Happ and Nick Markakis are play, you know, and Jed Lowry are players who made, you know, made the, finally became all-stars, after having careers, well, they're solid, but things clicked. You, know, you don't always know, and sometimes you don't know how, you know, which player is going to be the one that will fix in the right place. But the thing that I like about this Baltimore trade is this. First of all, they managed to snag one of the Dodgers' top prospects in uh, DS. But they also got quantity. The thing that I loved about the Astros rebuilding, and I was saying this back uh, in 2012, when I was doing the podcast and writing the uh, writing my blog, that what I loved that they were trading away anything that wasn't nailed down and going for quantity almost as much as quality. They were going to flood their farm system with players, and the fact that they got five players back, including a, a top prospect, shows that first of all, this is a much better haul than if they had let them walk and they picked up a couple of draft picks, and also. It's the sort of move that said, hey, look at this. We got five players in our system now. And 
they may all hit, they may all miss, but they are now part of our system that we can start developing them. And for a team like Baltimore to be able to not whiff on Manny Machado this way, then I think that's terrific. Now, I think it's terrific for Baltimore. Absolutely I do. Now, we'll see how it turns out. We'll see how it unfolds. But I think that this is... uh, I thought they were going to botch the Manny Machado trade. I thought they were going to wet the bed. And they didn't. I think if you're a Baltimore fan, you say goodbye to Machado. He was a great Oriole. But you have to do this. Uh, I think he is all but certain to be either a Cub or a Philly next year. Um, I've been saying I think Bryce Harper should is going to sign with the Philadelphia Phillies, but I think what he should do, I don't think they're doing the qualifying offer thing anymore, but I think Bryce Harper should sign with the Nationals for one more season. I think if he signs for one more season, because he's having an off year, his great performance in the home run derby notwithstanding, he's having an off year. He's not having a superstar season, and that's the sort of thing that if I were a team going, wait a minute, if I'm going to invest whatever he wants, $300, $400 million for him. And, and I'm a Bryce Harper fan, and I think he's a terrific player. But if you're going to say, hey, we're going to give you a 10-year deal worth all this money, we want to make sure you're still elite. You weren't elite on your walk year. And the fact that not, that not only was he not elite, but the team, the Nationals, who should be leading this division by 23 games, are trailing Philadelphia by six games in the loss column, and they're at even 500. They are going into July. If they have a bad week, this last, or the bad two weeks to finish off the month of July, or week and a half, really, then it is possible that the Nationals could go into August with a losing record, not running away with a division, be a sub-500 team. I mean, that's unheard of. This team should be... I mean, look at... I thought Philadelphia and Atlanta both had enough talent to potentially contend for a wild card. But this is insane. This is insane. And you know what? Look at... I'm not trying to pin this on Dave Martinez or anything. But somewhere, I bet Dusty Baker is smiling and thinking like, Oh, I guess uh, it wasn't so easy. You know? I could have led the... Nationals to a 500 record at the All-Star break. I think it would, you know, if the him having a down year and the Nationals being, I think, easily the most disappointing team in baseball this year, uh, it would behoove Bryce Harper to not have this be his walk year. Now, I'm not his agent. Uh, if I was and I took 10%, I would never work another day in my life but that's what I think you should do I don't really have a say in the matter is it windy? it's a little windy now the Orioles did the right thing and I still think they need to make more moves especially involving their bullpen as they have relief chips that could be sent off and I think Adam Jones who is you know, not having as great a year as he's had in the past, but would certainly help a contending team, especially the one that needs one more bat. And another thing to keep in mind is, you know, if they can get like two or three prospects, like let's say 
Britton, O'Day, uh, Brack, and Jones, those four players, if they can get, let's say, two solid players, or two, you know, two, two minor leaguers for each one of those, then you've taken, that, that would be eight players, plus the five that they got for Machado. And so that would be 13 players in exchange for five. They turned five veterans into 13 players that they've inserted right into their farm system. And keep in mind that with this, the, the Orioles' chances of you know, winning anything, they'll probably get the number one pick in the draft. So this is a critical time for Baltimore and, and for an organization that has just been a paragon of stupidity for the last bunch of years. You know what? I give them credit. There was a lot of pressure. I thought they should have traded Machado last year, certainly this last off season. And this season has been such a disaster. I can't help but wonder if they could have gotten more in the off season. but here they go. They got a pretty decent haul. Now, will they be able to put together a winning team by the time Buck Showalter is still there? Probably not. But it's a smart, good way to take a look at the, the, these final days before the waiver wire trade deadline. Although, as we saw last year, you could still make some big deals after that because some of those prohibitive contracts could be moved around. But either way, if we're talking a little beltway ball, you have two disappointing teams. One is waving the white flag and will probably find themselves in a better position before you know it. And the other is a team that I, that I thought of as recently as June. I looked at it and said, you know what? The Nats are going to go on a big run and they're going to beat the snot out of everyone in the postseason. And I thought the Nationals were the team to win the pennant. Now, right now, I think the Dodgers are taking the pole position. If I had to, if I had to pick one team right now, to take the pole position right now in the National League. The fact that the Dodgers who start off the season so badly, I was toying with the idea whether or not they should be dealing Clayton Kershaw. Now they've leapfrogged Arizona, who doesn't know what the hell they're doing. And you add Machado to that lineup, and all of a sudden, the first-place Dodgers are the team to beat. Um, the Cubs, of course, have helped turn things around. Milwaukee and Arizona are anyone's guess. And... Philadelphia and Atlanta are going to battle out at the top of the National League unless the Nationals can go on a big run. And the Nationals could still go on a big run because remember, despite all the things that I just said about the disappointing season and everything, they're only six back in the lost column of Philadelphia. And neither Philadelphia or Atlanta are the types of teams you look at and say they're a juggernaut. These are two overachieving young teams. And we've seen overachieving young teams fall apart down the stretch. You don't believe me? Ask the Milwaukee Brewers last year. So, talking Beltway a little bit here, the Nats got to get their act together and got to get their act together pretty quickly. And the National and the uh, Orioles, do you know what? Chalk one up. They handled it all right. Well, I'm going to handle it all right by going back inside. It's starting to get a little windy out here. But, hey, guys and women... I got to stop saying guys. I got to keep an eye out on things, part of the vernacular. Let me just say, I like doing these podcasts again. It's nice talking to you again. 
So go to SullyBaseball.com, like me on Facebook, subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram, and everywhere. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. If it was too windy, I apologize. This has been Sully Baseball for the 18th day of July 2018. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully.